Amen. What a joy to see that faith story. That was a six-minute section of about a 90-minute story of a lifetime journey. And uh, I'm just delighted to see God at work. Who's the hero of that story? Jesus. Who's the hero of every faith story? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Well, I want to wish you good morning officially. Uh, my name is Jason and uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new here, I'm delighted that you're here. I've got to meet some new people today and uh, just want to catch you up and move us forward in our series. But I've got a question for you in that. Um, Ben talked about a 1 to 10 from how much you care about the games tonight. I got another question for you. One of the things that stands out in my mind about Corey's story, he started, and he said this if you paid attention to it, he said, I had a nebulous background. I had a nebulous Christian upbringing. You know what the word nebulous means? It means cloudy. It's almost an oxymoron to say I had a nebulous foundation, a foundationless foundation. And part of his journey has been a, a journey from cloudiness to clarity. And to say God has a name, that name is Jesus and he's real. And when he was baptized, what a joy that was. But to be able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. To be able to make that declaration and to be able to make that public in baptism, uh, what a joy. But my question for you is how clear, how clearly do you see Jesus? On a one to 10 scale from cloudiness to clarity, how clearly do you see Jesus? Jesus. Invite you to ponder that as we uh, dig in this morning to Genesis chapter 16. Invite you to turn there. Whether you've got your large print Bible like me, or you're going to turn it on, or you're going to look up at the screen, it's all good. Last week, we spent a few minutes in Genesis 15, and we looked at this strange story of a covenant between Abram and God. And it was this bizarre story where Abraham says, how do I know that I can trust you? How do do I really know? And there was this ancient covenant ceremony where Abram brings these animals and uh, slices them in two, and as the ancient contract would have it, normally both parties would walk through, pass through the pieces. But it's only the presence of God that will walk through, and what that communicated to Abraham and communicated to us, and we'll, we'll start this as our foundation today, and we were left with this, but the unbreakable promise of God was fulfilled in the broken body of Jesus. And the broken body of Jesus gives us an unbreakable anchor for our souls. 
When John prayed for us this morning, he reminded us of that anchor that we have. Now this morning we're going to turn the page and we're going to look at another story that may hit our modern ears differently. We're going to take a look at it and see what God has to teach us this morning through it. So would you pray with me? Lord, as we open up your word, I ask simply that uh, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And I pray that my words would be clear and true and helpful and that they would bring you glory and honor and you'd burn off whatever doesn't do that. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me take you quickly to chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This was the promise that I'll make you a great nation. Difficult to do that without children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This one doesn't quite make it in all the children's storybook Bibles. It just doesn't. But I want to make some observations here at the beginning. What is Sarai, or later we'll, we'll call her Sarah, I'll use them interchangeably. What's her attitude here? What's her attitude? I have heard your word, God, I don't see you working, therefore I will take matters into my own hands. Abram's already done this. He tried to pass off Sarah as his sister. He'll do it again. And I want to say just a few words before we proceed about the Old Testament and about these narratives and how we are to look at these narratives. See, when we read a narrative in the Old Testament, It invites us to pay attention to the details of the story and make some observations. We don't read a narrative the same way we read a commandment. We don't read it the same way we read a theological explanation in Romans. It is no less true. It is no less God's word, but we want to be faithful in how we read it in its particular type, its particular genre. As students of the Word, and if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be a student of the Word, this stuff matters. And I want you to consider this truth, that the Bible is for you, but it was not written directly to you. It's for you, but it's not written directly to you doesn't mean we can't apply it. It just means we've got to do some work. We've got to do some interpretation. We've got to make some application. If I'm looking for a model of a marriage and a family, I don't go to Abraham and Sarah. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't say that flippantly. It's not what it was intended to be. We're going to get a lot of teaching in the New Testament, but it's like, let's be careful how we carefully 
read God's word. So how is the Old Testament? How are these, I mean, right away, we've got some difficult issues to deal with. But how, how do we read the Old Testament? I want to suggest to us two things that are really important. The first is we follow Jesus' pattern. He said, it's all about me. On the walk to Emmaus, he's talking with some of his disciples, and he said, let me show you how it all points to me. It points to Jesus. So we look at the stories in the Old Testament as a signpost to Jesus, to the gospel. We'll get there. The other thing I love about the Old Testament, it is so real and so unvarnished. It's also a mirror. I don't like that about the Old Testament. Because sometimes I look at the characters in there and I'm like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe how faithless they are. I can't believe how cruel they are. I can't believe they go their own way so much. And then I've got to look in the mirror and say, hmm, hmm. What are the patterns? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, uh, what, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I think one of the ways that the Old Testament can function for us is it serves as a mirror to say, what are the patterns that are there that we need to look at? A pattern that I see in this text so far is I see my circumstances, God, but I don't see you. Therefore, I will do it my own way. Have you ever done that? Have you looked at your circumstances and said, uh, God, I don't see you working. I love that song, I can never see the end of your goodness, but you're not there. You're just seeing your circumstances. I'm just seeing my circumstances. And because I can't see you working, I'm just going to go my own way. I'll compromise, I'll get ahead of you, whatever that looks like for you. I'll try to be the hero of my own story. That's a mirror, and I would invite you just, we're just a few verses in, I better pick up some speed here, but that, that may be for you today. But let's continue. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. There's a brutality in this world. There's a brutality of the culture. There's a brutality of slavery. There's a brutality of power relationships here. And we need to see that. But more than that, we need to see how God is at work 
even in the mess of what's going on. If we back up a little bit again, God has, is working through this family. God is going to build a, a great nation. God is going to unfold his plan of salvation over thousands of years. And we are at a particular moment in time where God is going to move. And in spite of the culture, in spite of disobedience, he will intervene and he will speak. I'd say it this way, we are reading a narrative that is telling the big faith story of how a perfect, omniscient, omnipotent, holy, loving God is working through profoundly sinful people, sinful systems that have rejected him personally and corporately. That's just the reality. And a lot of that's still true today. Now, let's continue. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I don't have to explain the cruelty of this. So how is God working? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. I have a promise for you too, Hagar. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. That's a mixed blessing. Can you imagine hearing that? Great, but not so great. It's, it's a fascinating narrative. But there's a reality of God's bigger plan. Let me draw your attention to verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Now hear this word. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him, gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Have you seen the one who sees you? 
Now, if we had time, I'd take you to chapter 21, and we'd hear the rest of the story, and we'd hear a little bit of this cycle repeat. Hagar will grow up, and he'll be 14, and there'll be some family drama. Hagar will get kicked out again, and God will intervene again and provide and care. But I want to invite you to take a farther right in your Bible. I want to take you to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is a signpost. It's going to point us to something greater. Because you see, though, there will be another woman. There will be another well. There will be another rescue. And I want to invite you to simply listen to this. You don't have to take notes. I'm not even going to put it on the screen. I want you to hear this story. You need to close your eyes, and I want you to picture it. I want you to picture this scene. And I would invite you to even invite the Holy Spirit. Help me see. Help me see the one who sees me through this word. John chapter 4. Take you to verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. We'll get there in a few weeks. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. 
The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Skip down a little bit. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then I'll skip down. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Do you see the God who sees you. Do you see? Do you see? Jesus will come. Jesus will see this Samaritan woman. And one detail in the story, Jesus is tired and he's thirsty. That's a big deal because that means Jesus is fully God the Son of God and fully man. There's nothing you've gone through that he doesn't understand. Amen? Now, this morning I asked you at the beginning, how clear are you? Let me give you three questions to help you with that. The first one is this. What is God showing you? What is God showing you? How clearly do you see Jesus? What is is clouding your understanding of Jesus. We live in a cloudy world right now. We need the clarity of Jesus. To have the clarity of Jesus, though, we need the clarity of his word. We need to be students of the word. We need to understand the word. We need to be in the word in community. There are lots of things that can cloud our view of Jesus. It can be sin, it can be pride, it can be lack of knowledge. It can be, I'm just going to be the hero of my own story. And I'll just get a little Jesus on the side for some consulting. That's not a clear view of Jesus. How is God shaping you? How is God shaping you? Through his word, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. How is he drawing you closer to him? And then we'll spend a minute on this third question. Who is God leading you to share with this week? Who is God leading you to share with this week? Here's the thing about vision and about seeing Jesus clearly. The more clearly I see Jesus, the more confidently I can share. The cloudier I am about Jesus, the less confidence I'm going to have. That's just the way it is. Now, let me give you just a couple 
Just practical examples from conversations uh, I've either been a part of or had this last couple weeks. So one had the opportunity to uh, meet with somebody going through a very difficult transition time in life. And he says, uh, you know, I'd like to know more about this stuff. I'd like to know more about Jesus. He said, I'd like to, I'd like to actually invite some people. But I'd like to be able to say more than simply come to church with me. I'd like to actually know about this stuff. I said, that's great. I'm thrilled. Let's sit down. Let's go through the Bible together. Let's do some stuff. It's part of Corey's story, working with Matt, working with some others. And I said, hey, that's also a great start. (laughs) Come to church is a great thing to do. Let's invite people. Let's do that. That's a conversation. That's a starting point. Another one had a friend and, and a couple of, uh, a work friend and a other friend, and uh, both had um, kids going through really hard mental health stuff. One had, was kind of at one point on the journey, and the other one was at another point. And um, my friend just said, let's all get together, and let's, let's share our stories in this. Mutual pain is an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Amen? And in that conversation, which was a lot of sharing stories, one left the conversation saying, you know what? I need to get back to church. (laughs) I need to get back to church. This person didn't say it this way, but very much has a nebulous understanding of Jesus, a nebulous foundation. And this conversation in the midst of pain is an opportunity. It's a bridge. So as we reflect this morning and as as we pray, let me just ask you again, how clearly do you see the one who sees you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you For your goodness to us, we thank you for the clarity that you give us, even in the cloudiness of our sin, the cloudiness of our rebellion, the cloudiness of wanting to go our own way. You break through, and you see us, (laughs) and you see our sin, and you say, I love you so much that I went to the cross for you. So we remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Holy Spirit, work in us now. Show us the step uh, that you would have us take. It is in your name we pray. Amen.